Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Amy, and this is Eyes on the Right Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in every week and listening and being so faithful and just delivering such excellent feedback and comments. Thank you all for donating to my podcast. I am trying to keep this free, membership free, and it's thanks to all of you guys that have supported me. So if you guys notice this increase in wanting to have spiritual experiences using drugs like psychedelics, ayahuasca, um, all sorts of drug use, um, specifically with psychedelics, has been such an increase specifically with celebrities promoting this as well. And this is kind of what I wanted to talk about today. I think it's worth a mention. Um, I want to bring in this idea of how the elites of the world are utilizing drug use to usher in this new kind of age of Aquarius, if you will, um, this new age. And, you know, it's a big cyclical event and it goes back to even the hippie movement. In fact, it goes all the way back to the secret societies. Um, There is evidence of DMT use and other things utilized to kind of reach the spirits, the the gods that they believed that could help them in their life and give them power. And so that's what we're going to dive into today. And I hope you all stay tuned and listen, because I think you're going to learn a lot. And I think that this is going to be helpful for us to just be aware of what's going on in our world and um, what the agenda is behind this. So I want to read a couple articles to you guys to kind of set the stage. Um, I was looking as I was researching this, I was looking into some news articles, and I have an article pulled up from Fox News. It says, what is ayahuasca? Pastor of ayahuasca-based church reveals the history and the truth behind the drug. Now, it's a plant-based tea, and a lot of these psychedelics are plant or fungi-based. And although we're going to be talking about psychedelics and drug use, we're also going to talk about alcohol because I really felt I was talking to my husband probably a week ago, and both him and I are recovering alcoholics. Um, I'm actually a recovering drug addict as well. And I will go into a little bit of my story just to give you guys kind of a backstory on this, too. But we were talking and we were saying how, you know, how really alcohol is kind of the gateway drug. I know that many people say that weed is. But most people that I've talked to, whether I'm counseling with them, or whether they're friends or family or people I just meet, most of them have told me that their very first experience before drugs, before weed, was actually having a beer or having a drink, sipping something their parents had in their liquor cabinet. And I want to dive into that because I think it's really interesting. And I I, I really believe that if you're struggling with addiction of any kind, um, I want to give you guys hope today because Um, I myself, like I said, am a recovering addict and alcoholic. I've been sober, sober now for over seven years, and so is my husband. I've been clean from drug use over 20 years um, now. So, But I had a tumultuous time when I was in college, when I was in high school. Um, I was a Christian, but uh, I was very rebellious, and um, I was... I was trying to find my identity and to fill the hurts in my life with a substance. And unfortunately... I didn't have the right mindset to navigate that in an appropriate way. And so let's dive into this. I mean, going back to this article, you know, this has been all the rage, you guys. I know a lot of you have seen celebrities that say, you know, they utilize um, ayahuasca to kind of get this God experience, little G God, mind you. And, um, you know, there have been celebrities like Miley Cyrus, um, 
Aaron Rodgers has actually come out and talked about his use of ayahuasca. And um, I, in fact, I think he was even going to speak at a at a psychedelic science conference um, in Colorado. I'm not sure if he did that or not. But I want to quote him. He says, I definitely had a fear of death and ayahuasca and psilocybin actually really helped me with that and relieved a lot of the stress around the idea of needing to accomplish things before I actually die and taking away some of that fear. I think when you've seen the other side, it makes the idea of death more of a passage and less of an ending. So here he's even saying how this has helped him with his fear of death and improving his mental health. And when you look at these articles like this pastor kind of going into this idea of utilizing ayahuasca to um, you know, bring you closer to God to kind of connect yourselves with God or a spirit. This is very dangerous. And I want to talk about this because this has been used and pushed. And that's what they'll do. They'll use celebrities to push out this idea of ayahuasca and psychedelics. And, you know, we even see moms using microdosing, using um, mushrooms and other substances to deal with stress and depression. And so I want to unpack this today. And I want to kind of really define some of these things so that we have a better idea of what's going on, what the elitists of the world are trying to push. Because when we are numbed out, when we are you know, numb in our minds and we're, we're dissociated, because what these drugs do is dissociate. They temporarily allow you to leave your body in, in essence. And when you're outside of your right sober mind, anything and everything can happen. There are people that say they have excellent trips. And there are some that say that it was horrific. And they've met demons in these trips. And, um, you know, it's, you don't know what you're dealing with, because you're outside of your right mind. And if you're a Christian, and you're doing these things, um, when you break a hedge and you decide to step out of this, you know, you're kind of fair game to the enemy. I mean, the blood of Jesus is powerful, but if you're not utilizing and walking and abiding with him, you are open to the enemy's devices. And I actually have a guest on coming up here in the next couple of weeks, and you guys are not going to want to miss it. He had an experience um, on ayahuasca and um, he was a Christian and Jesus spoke to him prior to him kind of entering into this trip. So that'll be a good episode you guys want to tune into. But going back to this idea, going back to ayahuasca, going back to um, psychedelics and drug use and alcoholism and all all the likes, we see that people are wanting to experience an enlightenment, a mystical, spiritual, deep, spiritual experience. And it, it it's scary, you guys. Um, a lot of people will say that these types of things are okay, that you should do this. And, you know, as long as you're not doing it habitually or overdoing it, then you're okay. But really, these hallucinogens, they take you, they, they oversensitize your um, sensory. There's something chemically that happens in your brain. Like I said, these are dissociative in, in nature. And in fact, when you look at the studies of mind control and MK Ultra, many times, if not all the time, LSD, psychedelics, alcohol, drugs, they are utilized for the child or for the person that is the victim to dissociate because it really helps you get into that that dissociative state where they can then program you. And I really believe that a lot of this was done 
back after, you know, the experiments, Project Paperclip and all of that after World War II, you can look that up and read about it. It was a real legit thing. They were experimenting on people using people from prisons and, you know, insane asylums and those people um, in hospitals, mental hospitals, they were using these people to experiment on to see how they would react. And that was around the 40, late 40s, 50s, I mean, from the historical records that we have access to, right? But we look at some of the things that came out of the 50s after World War II, looking into the hippie movement, the 60s, really, LSD was really pushed around that time. And if you travel back in history, just in America here, you really start to see how they utilize these societal experiments, which really it was. I mean, Woodstock, the hippie movement, when you start to re- really look into it and you start to unpack it, you start to see that the powers that be are supplying these people to utilize the societal experiment to see how they can control the mass public. And the Tavistock Institute put out a lot of these um, musicians and people to prop them up and to put them in place to mind control these people. Well, what better way to mind control a mass public than to supply them with drugs, supply them with LSD, get them into a mind trip, implant them with um, propaganda, utilizing musicians and artists and, you know, the news and, you know, the media and stuff like that. This was used, you guys, to program the public. And it's not only an individual usage that mind control was done, it's a mass usage. It's a mass experiment that has been done since, as far as we know, the 50s, 60s. And I mean, this is no secret, you can research this and you can see for yourself, but it makes sense if you're an evil person and you want to experiment on the public to see how far you can control them and manipulate them, what better way to do that than to use music and drugs and alcohol and celebrities to be propped up for people to follow like idols. And when you go back to the 60s and you start to see how LSD was pushed out in these um public arenas, it starts to make sense. So looking back, kind of traveling back, we're going to unpack this a little bit, but LSD is lysergic acid diethylamide, and it was created by a Swiss chemist in 1938, but it really became known in the 60s, okay? So we got to talk about this for a minute because it's going to tie into what they're trying to do to us today is bring about this kind of new age, which they were doing coming out of the 50s. They had all this MK Ultra project paperclip stuff under their belt, and they wanted to utilize a societal experiment to see how the public would react when under drugs and also if they could control them and manipulate them. Well, they did a pretty good job because in the 1960s, this social movement, which many believe started in the San Francisco Bay Area, coined as a summer of love when the youth was really targeted, this kind of peace, love, freedom, expression, right? But it was known as this psychedelic drug counterculture. And it was kind of like pushing this you know, going against the commercialism of America, kind of protesting the Vietnam War. But in this movement, they blended in Eastern mysticism, Native American rituals, and of course, the psychedelic drug counterculture. LSD was really one of the main things that was explored during this movement, because LSD recreationally was used to explore and experiment with this kind of idea of a spiritual experience, right? This kind of transcendental 
experience with uh, enlightenment and kind of getting to dissociate and kind of get to this higher place, so to speak. And when you look at this and you look at the people that were influential in this time, you can't negate the fact that music was a huge part of this. And the Tavistock Institute, if you don't know what that is, definitely dig in and research about that. But the Tavistock Institute put out people like the Beatles and other bands to push forward certain words, certain music to program and basically control the youth and the public. And this is what they're going to try to do and what they're doing today, you guys. It's a full cycle. In fact, we see now, like I was talking about in the beginning of the podcast, you see now this huge push for psychedelic use. In fact, it's even moving into the mom groups, you know, the the people the moms who have little kids, they are taking psychedelics and microdosing to deal with their children, to deal with anxiety and stress. And it's interesting how the elitists of the world, those that run the world and push these things out and make them popular, it's interesting how they do this. So going back to the 60s movement, you saw this idea of kind of embracing this culture of psychedelics, detaching from conventional societal norms. Um, it all moves into this program programming of the people. And this is really what drug use is utilized for. And in fact, as we move forward, LSD was banned. And actually, it it was the FDA looked at it and, and wanted to make sure that it was had appropriate regulation, right? Of course, that's how the government officials, they say, were began to become concerned because of the hippie movement. But we know and most of you guys that are listening have researched this enough to know that the powers that be push these things out, making it seem like it's this kind of organic idea that all of a sudden LSD sort of popped up on the scene. Just like as you move through the decades, you know, you see cocaine use and opioid use. And now we're making a full circle. What, 60 years later, we're seeing this resurgence of psychedelics again, along with fentanyl and microdosing and all of these things, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, these people are utilizing drugs in our society to manipulate us, to numb us out, to program us, to make us believe that we can't be healed without a drug. And it's concerning, you know, it's really concerning. And then so when you go back to celebrities that are kind of pushing this idea and really making it seem like it's not a big deal, you know, it's really not a big deal if you want to take a ayahuasca trip. It's really not a big deal if you start microdosing mushrooms. It's really not a big deal if, you know, you use ketamine treatment um, to, you know, work out your depression. And while I'm here, talking about this, um, you know, maybe this is triggering for some of you guys. I know when I was an addict and an alcoholic, if people started to say that things were bad, or even tell me that I had a, had a problem, um, I would get defensive. And so maybe some of you are getting defensive right now, as I'm talking, and I want to let you know, I, I was there. I mean, going into a little bit of my story in my late teen years, and also my early 20s, I had a massive, I had a massive alcohol problem. I 
I drank to escape. I mean, I remember my first drink going into my dad's uh, refrigerator and getting a beer and sneaking beers to the football games. And, you know, it seems innocent, it seems fun. But for somebody who has a proclivity to addiction like myself, not only spiritually, but physically, because my dad was an alcoholic, um, it set me up for disaster. And you couple that with insecurity and lack of self-confidence, and you've got just the perfect storm. So as I used alcohol to escape, I eventually moved into weed. Okay, so I really am a proponent that alcohol is the gateway drug. And, you know, I then ended up using weed, I smoked weed. And eventually, when I got into college, I utilized um, heavier, harder drugs and um, would also use Molly um, on occasion as well when I was partying and going out with my sorority friends. You know, um, this idea here is that you your inhibitions are down when you're drinking alcohol. You are less likely to make good choices when you're buzzed. And we're going to get into the kind of spiritual history of the use of alcohol and psychedelics and um, drugs. We're going to get into that because it's all rooted in a spiritual context. And many of us believe that it's just a physical thing. But you guys, I'm here to tell you that when you use drugs, when you drink alcohol, and I'm talking about habitual addiction, where you're using it on a daily basis or weekly basis, and you're getting drunk or you're getting high, you are inviting yourself to be open to the spiritual demonic realm. And you're not sober-minded and vigilant. You are dissociated. You are numb to some degree. And this can be very dangerous. And so kind of going back to my story, I had many nights where and I don't I don't want to glorify in any way, the time that I used drugs or alcohol, it was, you know, I look back on some of the things that happened to me and the things that I did. And I shudder because I'm so disgusted by my behavior. And, you know, there were nights where I don't even remember what I did, I had to wake up the next morning and have a friend fill me in or, you know, look at what was around me and I didn't have my ID or I had my keys next to me and I thought, oh my gosh, I drove home. I don't even remember driving home. Um, things like that, you know, those are not proud moments. And you, you know, you go back and praise God when I was using drugs, I was literally, I was literally delivered from that. Um, not only my alcohol, but drugs. I was probably had a $500 a week addiction. Nobody knew I lived a perfect double life. I was a Christian. I went to church on Sundays. Sometimes I went to church high as a kite or hungover. And, you know, I, again, I'm not proud of that. And I'm here to say that you cannot walk with the Lord and live a habitual life as a drunkard and a drug addict. Like, it doesn't work, guys. And God can deliver you from that. He delivered me from my drug addiction, but I had to want it. I had to get to a point, and I did, where I had to move and I had to leave every contact, every person that I ever knew that could potentially get me drugs, I had to leave them. And I did. And when I left, the Lord delivered me. And I'm so grateful for that. I mean, and this is why I love my job. I love counseling because I know where these people have been that I counsel with. I know what it's like to be an addict. I know what it's like to have spirits whisper to me at night saying, kill yourself while I'm drunk, you know, drunk and high. I know that I've lived that. And, you know, I could take this in so many different directions now. But 
but God delivered me from my addiction, my drug addiction, and um, and my alcoholism. In fact, my husband and I, like I said, um, are sober. And, you know, I see people and I talk to people whose lives are so wrecked, so wrecked by alcoholism, so wrecked by drug use. You know, you're impacting those around you. What you do matters. What you do impacts those around you. Even if you say, I'm not hurting anybody. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. The way you talk to your kids when you're drunk or you're high, the way you talk to your husband or your spouse or your parents, whoever it is, you impact them. And you are doing yourself a disservice by being numbed out and buzzed and drunk all the time. You're not living. You're really not living. And the majority of the time when people seek substance abuse, whether it be psychedelics or alcohol or even just pills, they are trying trying to escape something. I was trying to escape. I did not have confidence. And when I drank and when I did drugs, I felt confident. I felt good. I felt like the sky's the limit. I can do whatever I want to do and have fun, you know, and people accepted me. And really, the people that accepted me were the same people that were dragging me down. They were the ones doing it as well. And I'm here to tell you, you do not have to drink and you do not have to do drugs to have a filled life. In fact, when I started, when I stopped drinking, my life changed. And it was hard at first, I had to I had to stop doing some of the things that I used to do. I couldn't go to the parties. I I felt weird going to the parties because I felt like, you know, uncomfortable in my own skin. And it took time for the Lord to deliver me from some of my mental slavery, right? Like some of the mental thoughts that I had of like, oh my gosh, they can't have fun. I can't laugh. Nobody likes me. And the more you work it out with the Lord, the more he sets you free. And that really is deliverance, you guys. It's an ongoing process. When we come to know Christ and we believe in him, sometimes we're instantly delivered from certain things in our life. But 90% of the time, we need to be renewed in our mind. We are not delivered when we come to know Jesus. We are just justified. That means we are justified before the Father. Um, Deliverance and sanctification and renewal comes as you walk with him. So know that. That's really deliverance. And that's what God did for me. He delivered me from so much pain and so much mental slavery, like I said, and it took time, but I got sharper, I got smarter. And um, now I can sit here today and talk to you guys listening and tell you that there's hope. There's really hope. And for those of you that are struggling, or you have kids or people in your life that are addicts, I want you to know that prayer works. I had my mom and dad, and, and I'm sure prayers for my, for my late grandma, they were praying for me. And there were times when I drove away from my mom's house and she just watched me go as I drove away drunk. And I know she was praying, Lord, deliver her. So don't give up praying for those that you love. But thinking about this and thinking about how society and media and celebrities have played into this, you can't look at a commercial where you don't see a celebrity or an actress drinking a cute out of a cute champagne flute and making it look like it's so much fun, right? You you see this and it's like drinking is so accepted in our society. And yet when we drink, we make mistakes and we make choices that we would not normally make. And I've seen so many of my friends and uh, and even my own life where alcohol has wrecked relationships. In fact, it's ruined marriages. 
it's caused people to yell at their kids when they wouldn't normally yell at them. Um, I know for myself, living with an alcoholic father, it was like walking on eggshells. You know, you never know what you're going to get. You never know if he's going to yell at you or um, be upset with you. And I love my father. And he's since gone on to be with the Lord and he quit drinking um, towards the end of his life. But it wrecks, you guys. Drug and alcohol, they, they wreck. And, you know, it isn't this idea of glamour. It isn't this idea of, oh, I feel wonderful. I'm letting off steam. It isn't that at all. In fact, it opens us up. There's a reason why alcohol is called spirits. Now I know there's some people that will say, well, didn't Jesus drink wine? Well, yeah, he did. He turned water into wine. And in fact, wine was utilized a lot during um, during scripture when you read about the stories. In fact, in fact, Paul even encouraged Timothy to use a little bit of wine to settle his stomach. But we've got to understand with that debate that wine is very different today than it was um, in biblical times. In fact, many people believe that the wine in Jesus's time could have even been simply grape juice. Um, I'm going to read from an article here. It says, most wines that are produced today are manufactured on a large scale and contain high levels of alcohols, sugars, and additives. Biblical wine was grown and produced in the most natural way possible. In fact, many believe that the ancient wines only produced anywhere from 4 to 10% alcohol. And the alcohols today in wines because of sulfur dioxide and saccharomyces, all sorts of these kind of yeasts and other additives, um, they are their alcohol level is anywhere from 12 to 20%. And so we've got to look at this that the alcohol utilized um, in biblical times was either simply a grape juice or a wine that didn't exceed an alcohol content of above 10%. So we can't use that as a rebuttal because there's tons of scriptures that say, do not get drunk, don't be a drunkard. And, you know, drunkards are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And we've got to take that to heart and have the fear of the Lord that we can't run around being a drunk and think that God's okay with that. Like he's like, oh, oh, it's okay, little Christian, you go ahead and do what you want. No, I mean, and this is I'm pointing back to myself, I was living a life that was such a double standard, it was so hypocritical. And there were times when I was drinking, I wasn't using drugs. But when I was drinking, that I was still in ministry, I was still, you know, working in the church, I was still going on ministry trips, I was counseling, I was teaching Bible studies, I was such a hypocrite at this time in my 30s. And, you know, I'm in my late 40s now. And I think back to those times. And did I not love the Lord? I loved the Lord. I loved Jesus. I loved his word. But the enemy had a hold on me. I was I was oppressed. I was definitely oppressed by demonic spirits. And I know there's a lot of people out there that think that Christians can't be oppressed um, by demonic spirits. And I'm here to tell you, yes, you can. Don't be naive to think that the enemy cannot get a foothold in your life. You have got to be smarter than that. The enemy absolutely can. If you are choosing to be rebellious and in sin and step outside of the hedge of God and be specifically rebellious and habitual sin, you better believe the enemy is having a heyday with you. And that was me. I was doing that. And so I could never really get set free and delivered because I wasn't willing to walk the walk. I wasn't really willing to let it go. I wanted to have fun. I wanted to let loose. I wanted to go party with my friends. But I also wanted to teach God's word. And 
there came a point in my life that God was like, you're done. You either you either really give it up or I'm letting you go. I'm going to turn you over to a reprobate mind. And you know, that's a whole nother conversation of people that think that they can live any way they want and still go to heaven. But I'm here to say, you can't. You can't live any way you want in habitual sin and think that God's just going to be okay with that. He's not. He doesn't like that. He wants you to change. And he tried to get my attention many ways, um, many times. And it t- finally took me so broken and just in despair that I finally surrendered to him. And that's when my life began to change. But I had to get to that point where I was very, very broken. And um, But here's the hope in that. When you finally let your pride down and you finally surrender, that's when God's like, okay, now I can use you. You know, you think that you can figure it out on your own. You're so prideful. You're holding on to the things of this world. You're holding on to your party and your alcohol and your your mom wine. You know, like how many times did I have these mom wine nights where we would just have wine, you know, three, four bottles of wine between three or four people. And we were drunk. We were just getting drunk, you know. Um, so taking that idea that God you know, Jesus turned water into wine and using that as a justification that you can get drunk. It doesn't work. You guys do a little research. You will see that the wine was different than it is today. And then you look at alcohol and you think of alcohol as even called spirits. You often wonder why people have demonic attacks when they're drinking alcohol. There's, you know, there are chemicals, there's Um, things in them that is toxic to your body. I mean, there's a reason why you smell like your pores exude it and you get drunk because it's a chemical infecting and affecting you. And I really, oh my gosh, like there were times when I just was like so hungover um, from drinking alcohol. And I've had so many demonic experiences when I was drinking, like I mentioned, um, you know, the enemy just whispering to me, kill yourself, kill yourself. And, you know, it's it's a big deal. So alcohol and the spirits, you know, there's a reason why it's called spirits. And you think about all of these celebrities like Jay-Z, you think about um, Kylie Jenner, and um, actually it's Kendall Jenner who are promoting, you know, their, their tequila and their alcohol. And It makes me wonder, why are these celebrities promoting alcohol? Is it just to make money? Or is there something more involved in this concoction of the alcohol that they are providing for the public that does open them up even more so to the spiritual realm? So going back to kind of the religious history of drugs and alcohol, you look at these kind of psychoactive substances, and there's a record of these substances going all the way back to ancient times where priests would use them like shamans and stuff in religious ceremonies to bring about this spiritual access to these demonic spirits, but also for medicinal purposes, right? Um, Opium and, you know, alcohol, caffeine, they've been used a lot for healing and medicinal purposes. But I want to look at this um, PubMed Central. It talks a little bit about the cultural history of man's relationship with with drugs. And you look at the historical roots of addiction and drugs and early ancestors, it says here, um, were shown to use plants and fungi to utilize this kind of psychoactive effect. Now, psychoactive is really just affecting the mental process, right? Like psychedelics are drugs that produce hallucinations, 
strong experiences of heightened senses, right? Like the color, sound, smell, taste, touch. LSD, DMT are all magic mushrooms. They're all labeled these kind of psychoactive psychedelic drugs. And according to the NIH government um, website, psychedelics come from plants and fungi. Psilocybin is what's called as magic mushrooms. We also have dissociative drugs, which some of these are, I mean, they cause you to dissociate, right? Like become detached. Again, this is that idea of MKUltra. And what they want to do with these children is they want them to dissociate so they can then program them and make them little robots. And they are doing that to us on a massive level. And we're going to get to that. But this idea of dissociative drugs are, you know, even ketamine, PCP, you have these um, ideas, and they're being used for therapeutical treatments. And you will see recently that you know, for veterans and others are using ketamine to um, help treat depression. And really what it does is it causes us to detach from our bodies and our surroundings. And so we're going to talk more about that. But kind of going back to this article, going back to the history, we look back at like tobacco is nicotine, coca is from is the cocaine that we see. Um, The poppy produces opium, hemp is cannabis. And this has originated in these these old world cultures and this isn't there's nothing new under the sun and in fact most priests or shamans have ingested plants for millennia and the idea to do this so get this you guys from this you know PubMed Central NIH.gov it says such substances are sometimes termed entheogenic which means n and theo means god Okay, gen means create. So what is that doing? It's inducing a dissociative trance. So you can kind of become closer to little g God, right? Really what it's doing is it's giving you a trance to become closer to the demons. And what they did was they take these kind of mushrooms, magic mushrooms, right? They drink these um, teas and stuff like the ayahuasca and eat these fungi and roots and it would bring about and trigger this state of kind of spiritual introspection. And you can even think of like the Navajos and uh, thinking about peyote, which was used by the Native Americans. And this was to bring about this kind of hallucinogen um, to kind of bring them closer to this idea of, of not only their culture and their and their religious ideologies, but peyote was really considered to be kind of the sacramental and sacred way to the spiritual realm. And, you know, I think the the culture and the beauty of Native, Ameri- Native Americans is really amazing. Um, I come from a Native American tribe, um, a Choctaw Indian. And so we grew up with a lot of th- a lot of that culture with my grandparents and great grandparents passed down. And it is beautiful. And yet when you start to understand, though, what is really going on in this idea that peyote is is a way to reach a spiritual realm, and it's not it's not a way to reach Jesus Christ. It's not a way to reach God. It's a way to reach demonic activity. And that's that's how Satan disguises these things as, you know, angels of light. It's 
a lot of times people will have experiences on these psychedelics and maybe the first one or two times it's an amazing experience and they think, wow, it really cleared my mind out or it really allowed me to be creative. It really allowed me to be in touch with my higher self. And maybe the first one or two times it's not bad. But I'm here to tell you that that is the allure and that is the deception of the enemy. He will bring about some good stuff to get you hooked. He will even bring about healing for you. And this is the false healing and the false illusion that the enemy sets up with drugs, alcohol, spiritual experiences, utilizing psychedelics. It is a falsity. And although many people have said that there has been excellent results from this, I guarantee you They have been opened up to other things in their life that now they wonder why they're experiencing pain or depression here and there, and it causes them to do even more. And this is the vicious cycle, right? Because you can never really escape. The only way to escape is to come to Jesus and ask him to pull down these strongholds and the access the spiritual enemy has towards you and and has on you. And you can only do that by belief in him and confession with your mouth that he is Christ. He is the Lord. He is God in the flesh. So going back to this article, um, you look at these kind of psychoactive drugs and how they were used in ancient times, all the way from the Greeks to the Japanese to ancient cultures, Egyptian and Islamic cultures, um, all the way back to antiquity. But you see this idea of the main point that I'm trying to drive home here is the fact that these psychotropic plants have been used forever since the beginning of time. There is nothing new under the sun. The idea that psychotropics and, um, you know, psychedelics and all these types of things, alcohol, even weed, cannabis, that they are something new. They're not. And I think this goes back to the the pre-deluge when the fallen angels came down. In fact, if you read the book of Enoch 1, it talks about these fallen angels teaching mankind how to cut roots and how to do witchcraft and how to make concoctions through witchcraft of pharmacaea and stuff like that to bring about this kind of altered state. And this is really what it comes down to. It comes down to the fact that when we are using drugs, alcohol, what have you, to get to an enlightened state, to dissociate, if we're using it habitually, we're using it and abusing it, and we're getting drunk and we're getting dissociated, this is a problem. And the enemy will use you to access the physical world. He will use you, the enemy will use you as a vessel to manipulate people, to affect people, because we know the Bible says that the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy. He will kill you. This will kill you. And it nearly killed me. Um, I can't imagine how many lives I impacted negatively because of alcohol and drug use. And it's a sad state. You know, we see our society today. I see this these videos of our homeless and you know they're on fentanyl and and I have a story of of a a friend of mine whose son was on drugs and he was clean and sober and he came back to visit his mom and dad and he met up with an old friend and the friend gave him a pill and the pill was laced with fentanyl and he died that night and you know your body can't handle it his body was clean for for years and he took that one last hit that one last pill. And that was the pill that killed him. And, you know, he was in his 20s. And this is a, a, a the state that we're in today with our 
with what's going on with our homeless people, what's going on with our youth, how the celebrities are pushing this and normalizing this as some sort of good thing um, to to use. And I read this article talk about normalizing into like the mainstream when I looked at this idea of microdosing, this Guardian article I picked up, it said, it makes me enjoy, the headline reads, it makes me enjoy playing with the kids. Is microdosing mushrooms going mainstream? This was four years ago, and it talks about how mainstream you know, housewives are using mushrooms to deal with their kids. I mean, she literally says it makes me enjoy playing with my kids. So before the school run, commuting to work, you know, they're using these psychedelic drugs to help them cope with reality. And here's the idea. Um, This is what I work with my clients with a lot. And this is what I had to come to in my own life was, what am I avoiding in my life? What hurt or trauma or brokenness am I trying to fill with drugs or alcohol? And that's what it came down to. So you can utilize every physical trick you you want. You know, you can not go to the bars, you can, um, you know, not hang around people that don't drink, you can try to get clean and sober on your own. And that's a great thing. But if you are negating the fact that there's a spiritual component to why you are using drugs, and why you're wanting to go on trips, and I'm talking about psychedelic trips, why you are wanting to get drunk and drink alcohol or smoke weed to dissociate, you've got to ask the deeper question. And that's why. Why? What What is driving me to to fill this void that I feel? And if you don't ask that question, you're never you're never going to get healed. And this is what I work on a lot with people. And I had to look at myself and say, what What void am I filling here? You know, where's my identity built in? And it wasn't built in Christ. It wasn't built in how God sees me. It was built in how people accepted me. It was built in in if I was fun or not. And once those things went away, once the high wore off or the alcohol wore off, guess what? I was alone. I was alone in my own thoughts again. I was even more depressed, more anxious, more suicidal at times because everything that the enemy presents to you is fleeting. It comes and it goes. And it oftentimes starts out really great. And then it ends up leaving you even more hopeless and more in despair and more in bondage. And so I I challenge you guys today, ask yourself, what's driving me to do this? Is it a broken childhood? Is it abuse? Is it neglect? Is it because I didn't have a father? And once you identify and recognize what is driving you physically or driving you spiritually to produce an action physically, then you start to unpack and uncover what is what's really going on in your life. There's a reason why you're going out and getting drunk. There's a reason why I I use drugs and alcohol. And I had to figure out that why. And once I did, and I already knew Christ at that time, but it I didn't have the tools with me to understand how he then would come in and heal that brokenness spiritually so that I can then improve physically. And that was really the key in my life. And you can keep escaping, you can keep, you know, searching for the endless high, but it's only going to leave you empty at the end of the day. And so maybe people would would even ask, well, can I not take medication? Can I not, you know, use this or that? I can't answer that for you. It is for me, I think it's an individual thing, whether you choose to use medication or not. Um, Some people really benefit from some medication, but that but you have to ask yourself, God, is this something that is keeping me in bondage? 
Is this something that I'm using habitually to find relief versus finding relief and freedom in you? And that's where the hard question lies, you guys. I can't answer that for you. You have to answer that for yourself. And is having an occasional glass of wine a bad thing? No, it isn't a bad thing. But what are you using it for? That's the deeper question. Are you really having a half a glass of wine or are you getting drunk and are you avoiding and escaping? Only you can answer that question. And now there's people that will say, well, weed helps, you know, with um, pain and stuff like that. And even like ketamine treatments and microdosing mushrooms and it's natural. Don't worry. It's natural. Well, so is so are poppies. Poppies are natural. So is peyote. Peyote is a cactus, but it produces a dissociative state that detaches you from reality. And that's the bottom line. And most of the people that I talk to and that I know that have used weed for medicinal uses, um, they're not using it only when they get pain. In fact, they're using it every single day, all day. Um, So that's, you know, a deeper question there. Like, are you using it for truly medicinal purposes or are you not? And again, I can't tell you, I can't give you that answer. You've got to decide that for yourself. But at the end of the day, if you're using it habitually and you're dissociating, you're drunk and you're not clear-minded and you're numbed out all day, every day or every other day, habitually, you are setting yourself up for the enemy to come and attack you. And I would guarantee that most people that are doing that, like myself, I was doing that. I'm not, I wasn't happy. I had anxiety. I had depression. I cried myself to sleep many nights. I was lonely. I was not satisfied with this life. So is the temporary relief worth the eternal, potentially the eternal um, detachment and separation from God, but also the the fleeting relief that you do feel. God can heal you. He can set you free from your addiction. He did it for me. And I had a massive addiction. I was drinking every day, all day, towards the tail end there, right before I was delivered. I was drinking every single day, getting drunk. And it's only by God's grace that I didn't kill somebody or do something horrific um, while I was drinking because It very well could have happened. And we have to come to terms, you guys, as we near the end. I believe that we are nearing the end. And I know people have been saying that for a long time. I know there's been tribulation for a long time. But the Bible says that the end days are going to be like labor, birth pains, before Jesus returns. What are birth pains? Birth pains don't just keep going on and on and on. They get harder and faster until the baby is born. That's physically speaking, spiritually speaking, Jesus is coming back. He is coming back into this world like a baby being born from a mother. And so we're in those birth pains. They're getting intense. They're getting stronger until the coming day of the Lord. And guys, you want to be ready for that. And I want you to be ready. So I want you all to have hope. I don't want you to feel defeated because the Lord can set you free. Um, But you have to make some hard choices in your life. You really do. And if you need help with this, I'm here. This is what I work on with my clients. So reach out to me and just keep seeking the Lord, you guys, finding your rest in him because he is the true answer to to every need, to every hole that you feel. He is the only one that can fill it for you. So I hope you all have a great day. Stay tuned because 
Next week, I will be doing a decode on the Super Bowl and talking about all of the symbolism with that and the color purple. There's so much going on with all that, you guys. So I'm going to do a little bit of that next week. And then I have a really excellent interview lined up for you guys um, in a couple weeks. So thank you guys. I hope you have a awesome rest of the week and we will see you next time.